as, as most of you know, unless you're a first-time guest with us today, we have a guest speaker. And I'm really excited that he's here with us this morning. It's Dr. Nelson Searcy. Now, just, just a couple of things in the way of introduction, because I, I don't want to take your, your preaching time here. Uh, Nelson and I have been friends uh, for 25-plus years. Nelson and I, but also my wife, Karen, and his wife, Kelly. And uh, by the way, they have a 13-year-old son, Alexander, just a great guy. But we've been friends for 25-plus years and Nelson is one of my best friends in life and ministry. But then beyond that, he's, uh, he's also my coach. You guys know that I'm in a coaching network with about 25 other guys that meet in Orlando roughly every two months or so. Well, uh, we meet to be coached by Nelson. Nelson not only coaches that group, but he coaches literally thousands of other pastors all over the world. It's written like... 50 or 60 books by now, something like that. No, it's not, it's not, it's not quite that many. It's, it's like 18 or 19, uh, but the guy is just, he's an incredible person, uh, very smart, the, the, the smartest guy I know, literally. Uh, Nelson's also a great pastor. He uh, is the founding and lead pastor of the Journey Church. They have four locations in New York City and uh, also one in South Florida where he and Kelly and Alexander live. I don't want to get into his story because he's going to share some of that this morning. So uh, why don't I just get off the stage and let him do his thing? And uh, I, I, Cindy, I, I hope that um, you mean that with all best intentions when you're, you're so anxious for me to get off the stage. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. Would you guys, uh, again, remembering that this is my coach and one of my great friends, uh, give, give Nelson a, a real big welcome. Thank you. Well, good morning, Rocky River. It is exciting to be here. I've always wished I could pull off shorts as a pastor, but I cannot. But Jimmy can, and so I'm glad he can. Uh, I want to talk to you about miracles. And actually, today I'm not uh, teaching so much as I am sharing a story that's uh, been a miracle in my life over the last three years, but uh, I know sometimes when you hear the word miracle, you think that's something that's tied maybe back to the New Testament or it doesn't happen today or it's sort of exceptional, but I want to try to reframe that just a little bit. And so let me just say this, I think so far in my life, I've experienced three, three major miracles. And as I talk about some of this, maybe you want to think about the miracles you've experienced in your life. And I'll define miracles this way. So let me give you a formal definition of miracles. This is too much to write down, so just try to listen. This is from Richard Pertill, and uh, it's quoted in Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Miracles, which I highly recommend. A miracle is defined this way. An event brought about by the power of God that is a temporary exception to the ordinary course of nature for the purpose of showing that God has acted in history. All right, one more time. It's an event brought about by the power of God that is a temporary exception to the ordinary course of nature for the purpose of showing that God has acted in history. So you kind of got that in your mind? You know, the problem with miracles is you can't plan for them. You can't prepare for them. You, you can't force them. God just chooses to do them for some reason. So the first major miracle I experienced may be one that we share in this room. Our pastor mentioned it in his prayer time, and that is 
When I was a freshman at North Carolina State University, God saved me by his grace. That was miracle number one. Now, that may not seem like a big miracle because we know there are over 3 billion Christians around the world. So whether or not that classifies as something out of the ordinary, I'm not sure. But it certainly wasn't my life because I didn't grow up in church. I didn't have the privilege of being in a church like Rocky River or Creek Kids or anything like that. So when I first learned about God's love for me and Jesus' death on the cross for me and the resurrection, this blew my mind, literally. And in October, I'm an old guy, of 1989, I surrendered, gave my life to Jesus Christ. God worked a miracle in my life. He forgave me of my sins, gave me a purpose for living in this life, and gave me the promise of heaven in the next. Many of you have experienced that miracle. Just remember that right now for a moment. That is an extraordinary event that demonstrates the power of God over and over and over. And if you've never experienced that miracle, I hope you will, maybe today. By the way, just since I'm here in Charlotte, I grew up about 65 miles west of here. My parents, who are now in their 80s, they live there. I visited with them uh, on Friday. Right after my wife and I got married, we just celebrated 25 years of marriage. We actually lived right here. We lived in Concord first, and then we moved just down the street uh, in Harrisburg. And by that time, I was in ministry. And that takes me to what I would say is the second miracle of my life. And that is that shortly after I was saved, by God's grace once again, I was called to be a pastor. Now this may be a little bit more exceptional. There's far more Christians than there are pastors, but it's still not an extremely extraordinary event because God does call some people to be pastors. In fact, uh, your pastor was one of the first people that I met who was called to be a pastor, and then I followed his journey in starting this church, and I've admired this church from a distance, and to tell you the truth, if I lived here, this would be the church I joined, and I would be happy to be a part of this church. But that was an event brought about by the power of God that, at least in my life, was a temporary exception to the ordinary course of nature, because I was pursuing an electrical engineering degree. I'd been a computer nerd, and still sort of am nerdy, not so much the computer part anymore, but I'd been a computer nerd since my early teen years, so for me to pursue that path and then be interrupted by God and say, nope, I want you to go into ministry, that was a miracle. So that was miracle number two. Now the second miracle, or the third miracle rather, that I want to talk about is one that happened just a few years ago. But before I get to that, maybe there's been some other miracles that you've experienced. If you had to make your list of miracles, if you're a follower of Jesus, we'll make that number one. I would say uh, another miracle in my life that may not qualify in the major miracles, but if you met my wife, it might. That would be the miracle of my marriage. Because if you've met my wife, you know she's far exceeding my capacity, and it really is an extraordinary event brought on by the power of God. And Pastor Jimmy, I'm looking at you, because that's true in your life, because I know your wife very well, too. So that would certainly be a minor miracle. I also have been privileged for most of my adult life now, for going on 20-plus years, to have four friends whose friendship goes beyond the ordinary. They're spiritual friends. They're accountability partners. Two of them, including your pastor being one of them, I had dinner with on Wednesday night while here in Charlotte. I would say that is a minor miracle because I'm not an easy guy to be friends with. I've also had the privilege now for over 20 years to pastor the same church. 
And that's pretty extraordinary in my opinion. That's been a minor miracle in my life. And I suppose I could keep going on and on with others about my family and about my brothers and different things I could tell you. But the point is, from time to time, God does choose to do something out of the ordinary in our lives that is a temporary exception to how he normally works so that he can demonstrate his power, not just in history, but in our own lives. So hopefully now I've got you thinking about miracles. So let me tell you about the most recent one. And this is what I was invited here to talk about. I want to take you back to 2017. That wasn't that long ago. 2017, the end of 2016 and the beginning of 2017 was a pretty busy time in my life. I released two books in 2016, and late 2016, I had a pretty significant travel schedule. I don't normally travel over the holidays, but that particular year, I found myself traveling around the world. I took a little break at Christmas at 2016, and then hit it hard in January of 2017. Actually, your pastor was with me on a big trip that we did to Los Angeles, but somewhere along that period of time, I picked up a cough. You know, it happens that time of year. It's cold, I'm traveling, you're around a lot of people. I had a little bit of a cough. So finally when the travel slows down in late February, I get home and I kind of dread going to the doctor because it's cold and flu season. And I'm like, I've got a cough, but I don't want to get the flu. But nonetheless, I needed to go see the doctor. And so I called my doctor up and he said, well, come on by. Come by at the end of the day. We'll take a look at it. It's probably nothing, but we'll just make sure because you've been on the airplane a lot. want to make sure it's not anything more. So I go in for a cough. After a few moments of examination, he says, look, I think the x-ray tech is still here. Let's just get an x-ray of your chest. Now, by the way, in just a moment, I'm going to tell you, the cough is meaningless. It has nothing to do with anything that I'm going to tell you. It just started the journey. So I go down and I get an x-ray, and it's too late in the, in the day to get the reading of the x-ray. So he says, I'll call you back tomorrow. Make sure you don't have pneumonia or anything like that. Well, the next day is a day I'll never forget not because it was Pi Day, but because of what I was told on Pi Day. Now, let me explain Pi Day. You see, I'm a computer nerd. So Pi Day is March 14. Why is that? Because it's 3:14, and that has to do with the circumference and radius of a circle. Very good. This is a pretty good group we got in here. And they call it Pi Day because it's 3:14. But also, society has picked up on this, and to tell you the truth, I like pie. <laughs> Key lime pie, apple crumb pie, chocolate pie, I mean, you name it. Those little pie-flavored donuts, I like them. So I was pretty excited about pie day and some of the things that were going on that day, but I wasn't so excited when I got that call from my doctor early on pie day. And he said, you know, we took that x-ray, and I think your chest is okay. But it, it went down just far enough on my body that it picked up the top of my liver, at that point, I'm not even sure I could have told you where my liver was located, but I've become an expert on this over the last three years. It's right here, and it's pretty big. And so they took the chest x-ray, they caught the top of my liver, and he says, it appears on your liver that you have some lesions. I thought that doesn't sound too bad. Lesions? You know, maybe something Dr. Pimple Popper could solve. I don't know, lesions? Not that... Does it sound all that terrible? I mean, I'm sure we can take care of that with just some medication or some antibiotics. And he said, no, it's actually probably a sign of something much worse. 
And I said, well, give it to me straight. He said, you probably got cancer. That's all I heard. I know he went on to say somewhere in the rest of your body and most likely in your colon, and it's now spread to your liver because generally these lesions don't show up by themselves. But once you hear the C word, that's pretty much all you hear. So I heard the words. I've got cancer. I'm 45 years old at that point. He said, let's get a test. So I ran up. We got a CT scan. Sure enough, cancer in my colon. A major tumor at the bottom of my colon, right where it turns to go into that last part of your colon. That had spread to another major organ, and I had at least seven of these lesions that I now learned was just a fancy way of saying tumors in my colon. He said, I want you to see a new doctor that I know, a young guy who's building an oncology practice here in South Florida. He's about your age. Let's see if I can get you in to see him. And so I got in to see him, took my wife, and he affirmed that at age 45, I had stage four colon cancer that had spread to my liver, and it was bad. When you get diagnosed with something, no matter what it is, it could be back pain, it could be a fall, it could be a chronic issue, it could be diverticulitis, it could be migraines, people ask you weird questions. One of the things you want to be careful about when you're around people with chronic pain is be careful about your questions. They sometimes come across a little weird. I remember the first question I was asked was, did you see this coming? Now, if I'd seen it coming, I mean, I'm a relatively smart individual, not as smart as that introduction made me out to be, but had I seen it coming, I would have done something about it. I mean, if I had a history of colon cancer in my family, which I don't, I might have done something about it. If I had had some serious issues, and I'll try to be discreet here on a Sunday morning that might have related to blood or issues of that nature or serious weight loss or you know, great fever or upset stomach or any you know, excruciating pain in my abdomen, I would have done something about it. I mean, I was the guy that went to the doctor for a nagging cough. I would have done something about it, so no, I didn't see it coming. And so uh, it's amazing what sometimes people will ask you. And so I was surprised by this. In fact, I was shocked by this. I was rocked by this. But I'm going to frame the rest of my talk around just a handful of words. And the first two words I'll give you is that God knows. K-N-O-W-S. God knows. I was surprised by this, but God wasn't surprised by this. This cancer, I found out, was pretty bad. Somehow or another, I was unaware of how bad it was. Now, to give you just a little bit of the back end, I, wasn't, I was surprised by this because at this point, I was in probably the best shape of my life. I had written two books on health. I'd written a book for pastors called The Healthy Renegade Pastor that was about getting healthy. I'd written a book that was about to come out the next year called The New You, which was about health. And I was in good shape. I was running about three miles every other day. I was exercising. I was at a, a very sustainable weight. I was in fighting shape. So this was a big surprise to me to find out that I was diagnosed with stage four cancer. 
surprise to me, not a surprise to God. You see, God knows. I don't know what the future is, but God knows. I didn't know I was going to be diagnosed with cancer, but God knew. I don't know what might happen to you next year or in the next decade, but God knows. And so God knew about this, and God worked it out. In fact, it's interesting when I look back, I didn't know it at the time, but that was kind of the end of a significant period of travel for my life. And the next few months, I actually had quite a bit of flexibility in my schedule. And that, of course, allowed me to have surgery number one. About a week after I was diagnosed, I went in for the first surgery. Ostomy put in place to bypass the major colon tumor down here. Chemo port put in place up here so that I could begin to receive treatment. I had no idea what a chemo port was up until this point. And if you don't know, I hope you never have to know. And then as soon as I recovered from the surgery, and by that I mean after I could walk out of the hospital, they began heavy-duty chemo. In fact, my young oncologist that I'd been assigned to, who's now become a significant person in my life, as you can imagine, he said, Nelson, you're in good shape. You're 45 years old. I'd like to do something if you're willing. I would like to push the envelope. A little side note, if you hear that from your doctor, you, you might ask a few more questions than I asked at that time. But I said, hey, doc, let's do it. Let's push the envelope. Maybe it was the anesthesia from the surgery. I don't know. But I, I said, okay, we're going to push the envelope. Now, if you will, you have some message notes inside your program. And if you want to find those, I only have three scriptures for you today. But hopefully they'll be a great encouragement to you. Because as we were preparing for the surgery, and I was preparing for chemo, and I was trying to figure out what my doctor meant about pushing the envelope, I began to pray. Some people ask me, they say, were you surprised that you got cancer? That's not a bad question per se. Uh, of course, I was surprised in some way. I'm 45 years old, didn't expect it. By the way, since then, I don't know if you've noticed, uh, They've changed the recommendations for the first year of your colonoscopy. Have you seen that? Most of my adult life, you were suggest it was suggested that you wait till 50 to get your colonoscopy. Now they suggest 45. The highest percentage of people getting colon cancer are now in their 40s. Most of the people in my treatment room that I was involved in with this young oncologist, they were in their 40s. And uh, because of that, a lot of new treatments and a lot of things have been developed for people in their 40s who are facing this. So little did I know I was part of this decrease of the age. But uh, even though uh, I was surprised by it, um, I began to pray and uh, pray at a different level. I'd been a Christian for a long time at this point. I'd been a pastor, written books, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I was surprised by it. It rocked me. And so I began to pray, and my first prayer was a prayer of miracles. God, heal me of this. You know, take this away. I thought of a few people I didn't like. Give it to them. No, I'm just kidding. I only did that once or twice, and then I repented of that. But yeah, I prayed. And eventually this scripture came to mind, one you are perhaps familiar with if you've been around church for a while. It's rather long. 2 Corinthians 12 7 through 10, the Apostle Paul is going through 
a difficult hardship. We don't know exactly what it is. Some people think it could be terrible back pain. Other people think it could be related to the many times that he was beaten in the course of his life for living for Jesus. Other people think it might be serious eye pain. And if you've ever had glaucoma or eye pain, you know that can be really, really painful. And we don't know exactly what it is, but here's the story. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. Even though, Paul says, I have received such wonderful revelations from God. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh. We don't know what that is exactly. But a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. I began to think of those lesions in my tumors, or those tumors in my liver, those lesions as thorns in my flesh. I began to think of that big colon tumor as a thorn in my flesh. And then Paul, perhaps because he's more spiritual than I am, he prayed three times. I prayed three times three times pi times three for God to take it away. But he says three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. I did too. But each time he said, and I want you to underline this and then we're going to say it out loud together. Each time he said, and here it is, God speaking, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So underline that. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Now, starting with the words, my grace, and ending with the words, weakness, let's read that out loud together. Each time he said, ready, go. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Let's do it again twice as loud. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Turn to your neighbor and say, God's grace is all you need. Oh, you did it. See, Jimmy, you said they wouldn't, but I knew they would. So now it continues, I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses. I've worked on that. And in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I think that last part means when I am physically weak, I am spiritually strong. So the first phrase I would give you is that God knows. He's not surprised by your pain. He's not surprised by what happens to you. Second phrase I would give you is that God provides. God provides. Part of the story I didn't tell you is that when I was diagnosed and I met with my oncologist who decided to push the envelope, the reason they wanted to push the envelope is I had a very aggressive form of cancer. And basically he said, I can just about guarantee you 10 months if we get lucky and the chemo kicks in, you might be able to get to 24 months. And he said, my hope during that 24 months period of time is that you might be able to get into some kind of special trial that might be able to treat you. Or perhaps there'll be some kind of new thing that comes down the pike because it's developing really fast among people who are in their 40s. That again is another shock. Not only do you have cancer, but now you're counting the clock. March. April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November. I might make it through Christmas, and I might make it into 2018. That's 10 months, and then you can do the math on 24 months. Well, the first six months of my chemo, which was horrible, and they really did push the envelope, 
I sat there sometimes for 12, 14, 15 hours with different bags of chemicals. So chemo is. And if the chemo doesn't kill you, you just might make it. I sat there with these bags of chemicals for six months and nothing happened. My CEA number, which was sky high, didn't drop. There was no significant decrease in my tumors. I did have the bypass around the colon tumor, so at least I was able to eat when I could eat, but that was my big thing, nausea. But I did have a pattern. I would, uh, I would feel really bad for about seven, eight, nine days around chemo. Then I'd have about three or four days when I felt pretty good. My wife and I made a decision that on those days I felt good, I would try to keep as normal of a schedule as possible. So I stayed active with the church. I stayed active with my writing uh, deadlines. I did have to cut back on my teaching on Sunday, especially those weekends right after chemo when I would basically be just in a vegetative state in bed. But we decided to stay active. And also we decided that if God would provide, we would travel to some of the great cancer centers around. Now living in South Florida, there were several in the area. So we could drive to those and get a second opinion. I was able to fly to Houston and get a third opinion. I was able to make connections with the Cleveland Clinic and get a fifth opinion. I was able to go to New York City where I lived for a decade and we still have a church, uh, four churches there and an office. And I was able to go to Sloan Kettering. But I remember in September, six months after chemo began, we were desperate. Nothing had begun to happen. Sit down that night and I began to do what I strongly advise you never do. I googled my disease. Not a good plan. Not a good idea. Never do that. You know, even if you've just got a cold, don't do it. But I did it because I was desperate. And my particular tumor had a name and it was in a unusual location in my colon and somehow or another I found a colon surgeon that was at the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio and he had had some success in doing these kinds of surgeries. This happened to be on a Saturday night. I was uh, on the board of the Museum of the Bible in Washington DC. They were about to open so we were in DC when this happened. So we got through the weekend and on Monday I called and they said, oh, Dr. Sands is no longer with the Cleveland Clinic. And I thought, my goodness, did he retire? What's going on? What happened? They said, well, he's moved on. I said, well, where did he move to? They said, we don't know, but we'll find out and get back to you in a short period of time. Also, from there, went up to Sloan Kettering, where they were doing some pretty amazing things with these liver lesions. And at that point, if you had more than five, you were considered inoperable. But there was a doctor there who was doing some interesting things with people who had more than five liver lesions. And I've always been an overachiever, and I had seven. So I began to contact with them, and they said, well, we've actually stopped that trial. But one of our young, sort of aggressive doctors has just gone out on their own. And they're now doing these trials at another university hospital. And I said, where is that? And they said, I'm not sure, but we'll find out. As things began to develop over that next week, I found out that this colon surgeon from Ohio had just been promoted to be the director of the colorectal department at the University of Miami. I live in Palm Beach County, by the way. That's one hour from my house. I found out this young liver surgeon, whose name is Vika Studesia, 
I found out that he had left Sloan Kettering to go to a university hospital to continue his research, and I found out he was in the research department at the University of Miami. God began to provide. I now went down to meet with Dr. Sands, who I found out they had named the entire department for, and making him uh, the chief surgeon there. He looked at my x-rays, he looked at the CT scans, he drew out a diagram, and he said, when do you want me to line you up for surgery? He said, I think we can get the tumor. Then I went and met with the liver surgeon, and I said, do you know the colon surgeon? And I began to try to get those two guys to talk, which is a bit like trying to herd cats, but somehow or another, we got this uh, established surgeon and this young surgeon to talk, and I began to move forward with having a second surgery in early 2018, and the idea was they would go in and remove the colon tumor, and then they would also begin to put an implant called a liver pump, which I still have to this day, that's right here, that sits under my skin and my abdomen, I'll explain later, that would go send high-powered chemo into my liver and try to shrink those tumors to such a point that they might be able to be removed a year or two years later. So now for the first time, I have some hope. So God knows, God provides, here's the third phrase, God comforts. During this entire process, I was surrounded by people who comforted me. My spouse getting highest priority. I can't say enough about my wife Kelly. I can say this, my battle with cancer was harder on her than it was on me. I'll just let that be. I was surrounded by Christian friends that comforted me. I was surrounded by some non-Christian friends who comforted me. In fact, some of my non-Christian friends, they were more mad about me having cancer than I was. And having a few doctor friends, they made some calls and uh, maybe roughed a few feathers to try to get some treatment for me. Side note, I also had some friends who pulled away. People don't know what to do when you get diagnosed. Sometimes people step away. If you've read the book of Job, you know that happened with some of his friends. There were also some friends that it was probably best I didn't talk to because they just weirded out on me along the way. I had a church family that, extremely, uh, that supported me, and then I had my own faith, which had to adapt during this time. I, I wasn't always able to go to church, so I had to listen to audios. That's all I could do is lay there in bed sometimes and just listen to audio, things like hymns and Christian music and uh, teaching that you could listen to uh, through apps and things like that on your phone. I began to participate in church services online, something I'd never uh, done before. Now, I have to admit, and this sounds spiritual, and I don't, it's not, because if you really know me, you know I struggle with all of this stuff. I have to admit that at this point, if I had passed, if I had died, I was ready. The Bible says, this is on the back of your notes in Philippians 121. I'm doing them just a little out of order for the folks up top. The Bible says in Philippians 121, again, the Apostle Paul is talking. This really became the key verse for me. It is for me to, or it says for me excuse me, for to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. It's pretty strong words if you think about it, but I really would say to God, God, if I die, I've got heaven to gain. I had a young son, I had some pretty good plans for the rest of my life, very good marriage. I didn't necessarily want to die, but I was ready. 
But also I said to live, God, I'm going to give you the rest of my life. I'm going to continue to pursue your purposes. So we moved forward in May 2018. I had surgery number two. They removed the colon, huge incision to try to get to it. I still don't have any feeling around my waist. They put this liver pump in, which is a hockey puck size, Iron Man looking device that sits under my skin and sends chemo straight into the liver, which allows them to do higher dose chemo than they could otherwise. Don't get behind me at airport security. Uh, they, uh, they took out everything else that they could think to take of or out around my colon and liver, all of the lymph nodes, uh, appendix, gallbladder. If they could take it out, they took it out just to try to keep it from spreading. Miraculously, I survived that surgery. Sometime in June or July, I made it home. I went through tremendous amounts of chemo again. And that takes me to my next phrase, which is God heals. The surgery was successful. I was now on path that if I had two more surgeries, all of the liver tumors could possibly be removed. The ostomy could be reversed. I might be able to have a normal life as much as you can post-cancer at this point. In fact, in December 2018, I did have that surgery number three. Those liver tumors had shrunk. They went in and took them out, and it was a horrible surgery, the worst one to date. Uh, I was in the hospital over Christmas into the new year of 2019. It could not have been worse, but at that point, the colon tumors were gone, the liver tumors were gone, and my CEA number had dropped, my cancer markers had dropped to normal. How did this happen? James 5 is a really interesting passage. I won't go there. It's not in your notes. But James 5, verses 14 and 15, it says, If anyone is sick, let them go to the elders of the church and have them do something that most of us have never had done. Have them anoint you with oil. My church did that. It was a private ceremony like you're having on uh, this week. They came around me when I was in New York, and some of the elders and the other pastors, they prayed for me. They anointed me with oil. I had two other churches, one in Virginia and one in California, that anointed me in absentia and prayed for me. Many of you prayed for me. All of this prayer worked together, and it worked. I studied dramatically the teachings of Jesus and what Jesus had to say about healing, and here's what I want to give you. I want to talk just one minute about Jesus and healing. When you study the ministry of Jesus and his miracles of healing, most of the time he didn't heal. It's fascinating. He healed some, but the majority he didn't heal. Why is that? I have no idea. We'll just have to wait and ask when we get to heaven. But here's what I've learned, and I'll sum it up this way. I've learned... That if you are a follower of Jesus, regardless of your pain, diagnosis, difficulty, thorns of the flesh, I've learned that Jesus always heals. You say, how can you say that? Didn't you just say he didn't heal most of the people that he encountered in the New Testament? Well, here's how it works. Sometimes when Jesus heals, he does it immediately. Radically dramatically, transformatively, immediately. One of my chemo warriors, my doctor said I had a good attitude, so he'd send 45-year-olds with cancer to my way, put them beside me in the chemo chair. One of the guys that I worked with, his name was Hector. 
literally, dramatically, he was healed. His tumor went away in his colon for unexplained reasons. He had a church. He was actively involved. People prayed for him. It happened immediately. My first reaction was, why not me, Lord? Then I said, well, no, thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in Hector's life. This is how things work. Second way that Jesus heals is he does it through medical professionals. Some of you in this room are in that field. I, I counted up one time how many people have been involved in my medical miracle, and it's over 200. From RNs to CNAs to uh, CT uh, technicians on down the line to oncologists to liver surgeons to colon surgeons to the team around those people. It's incredible. And we must not forget that when God works a miracle through medical professionals, it's still a miracle. You go into the hospital sick, you come home, and a few weeks or a few months later, you're healed. That's a miracle. And then the third way that Jesus heals, and this is why I can guarantee he always heals, is that he heals you when you get, when you get to heaven. I don't know why God doesn't heal everybody here on earth. We live in a fallen world. We live in a sinful world. It doesn't always happen. But if you're a follower of Jesus, when you get to heaven, you'll have a new body. You'll be completely forgiven. Or, I'm sorry, completely healed. And it'll last for all eternity. There's a lot more I could say. I would love to tell you about how God, what God taught me during this time. He opened my eyes to the difficulties that many people face that up until this point I'd only seen as prayer requests or only seen as a pastor maybe one step removed. Uh, it gave me great influence with men in their 40s who were going through this. I began to have a deeper heart for those with chronic pain in our church. I began to share my story of neuropathy in my fingertips or neuropathy in my toes. That's why I'm sitting down today. I'm afraid I'd fall off the stage. Where am I at today? I'm 14 months, going on 15 months cancer-free. It's been a miracle. I'm always going to have a life full of colonoscopies, so I've got that to look forward to. I'm always going to have a life full of scans, but that's all right. At least for now, I'm living for Christ. My story isn't a, a minor example that God cares. God cares. And that's what I came today to tell you. God cares. God cares about your pain. God cares about your life. God cares about your disease. God cares about you. Somebody asked me, they said, Nelson, how does it feel knowing that you could die at any moment? Right or wrong, I replied, how does it feel pretending that you won't? A miracle is an event brought about by the power of God that is a temporary exception to the ordinary course of nature for the purpose of showing that God has acted in history. Philippians 4, 6, your memory verse, is where I want to leave us today. It says, don't worry about anything. I know that's hard. Instead, pray about everything. 
Tell God about your cancer. Tell God about your pain. Tell your Christian friends about your ailments. Share it on the back of your Connect cards. Tell God what you need. And thank him for all he's done. I'm here today as a way to say thank you. Thank you to you for praying for me. Thank you to your pastor for calling me every Friday during my treatment to check in on me. Thank you for what God has done and for what God is going to do. And I want to pray for you especially right now. If you're going through difficulty, if you're going through pain. And then I want to pray for you. If you've never experienced that first and most important miracle. And that is to receive Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord. And if you've never done that, God can work that miracle in your life right now. So let's bow our heads and pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you care. I pray for those in this room, and I know more prayer will go out later this week on this night of prayer that has been set aside. But right now, I pray for every person in this room who is in pain, who is hurting. Maybe this week even some received a diagnosis that they're struggling with. God, I pray for miracles. I would pray for dramatic miracles, even right now, immediate healing by your power. If that would be your will. If not, I pray for medical professionals and everyone involved in that field as they come around the people in this church who are going to doctors, going to appointments, sitting in waiting rooms for abundantly long time, waiting for surgery, waiting for transplants. God, I pray that you'll work a miracle through that process. And then we thank you that if we know your son Jesus, that one day when we get to heaven, our bodies will be made new. This broken body that we have now will be restored and we'll be with you for all eternity. Just, just with your heads bowed, if I can just be really honest with you and ask a question and ask you to be honest with me. If you were to die, do you know for certain that you're going to heaven? This world is uncertain. Age 45, I never expected it. 10 months to live, 24 months to live. My life could have been over. But if there is one thing I do know, I know I would have been with Jesus in heaven. Not because I'm good, not because I was called to ministry, but because way before all of that happened, by God's grace, he saved me. He worked a miracle in my life, forgave me of my sin, and gave me that home in heaven. You can experience that miracle right now. Just in your heart, just say something like this to God. To dear God, I need you in my life. I know that I've messed up, that I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for that. I turn away from that old way of living. And today I turn towards you. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for your resurrection that we'll celebrate in a few weeks on Easter. Jesus, I receive you into my life as my Savior, as my Lord, as my leader.
And now just tell God, from this moment on, God, I want to live for you. I want to follow you in the fellowship of your church. I'm committed to you. We pray this together in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Listen, still in that the, the same moment here. Don't, don't transition so much or, or so quickly out of this prayer. It, it, there are a couple of things I want you to consider. Uh, early in the service, Diego talked about the connection card. If you have that connection card, I want you to just pull it out where you can see it because there are a couple of things I want you to pay attention to on the back. First, if you prayed with Nelson to invite Jesus into your heart and life today, will you let us know that? There's a box there that you can check. That'll be your next step today. And then on your way out, we'll have ushers at all the exits. They have receiving baskets, and you can leave your card in there. But then also, as Nelson mentioned, I think Diego did as well early in the service, this Wednesday night at 7 p.m., we're having a James 5, 14, and 15 prayer service. And uh, it, I think it's going to be one of the most powerful things we've ever done as a church. And I want to invite you guys to be a part of it. I want to invite you to invite others uh, that you know who also need prayer for healing, chronic pain, those sorts of things. And uh, if you are planning to be here on Wednesday night and you'd like for us to pray for you, there's a place that you can check that on the back of your card. It'll just give us an idea about who we can expect to be here. And let me encourage you to do this as well. Um, invite your friends and family to come and be a part of that. We'll, we'll give more details on Wednesday night at the prayer service for how that'll look and how it'll work. But I just want to encourage you to be here to be a part of that. It's going to be a powerful, powerful time. Let, let's stand together. We're going to sing, and then the band's going to dismiss us. But would you give Nelson one more big hand, please? Thank you, Nelson. That was very powerful. Thank you.
joining us today. We appreciate you. You guys have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.